How many of you made resolutions coming into this week? Let me see your hands. Boy, we are like way below average at Hope Church. We are way below average. You know, I, I always think about what is the deal with resolutions? Honestly, I think it's natural. I think God puts something inside of every one of us that, that draws us towards significance. The Bible says he places eternity in our hearts. There's something in us that realizes that, that there's more than just this existence. There's more than just this living day to day. And because of that, we, we strive to become. We strive to, to grow. We strive to see things change in our lives. And, and many people, they, they make those resolutions. I, I was looking up some famous resolutions, and there was a couple I wanted to share with you. Ben, Benjamin Franklin, you know who that guy is? He said, he said this. He said, be at war with your vices, at peace with your neighbors, and let every new year find you a better man. That's, that's some wisdom right there. And can I tell you, in this year, with all the political mess going and all that, I think it's a great word to say, be at war with your vices and at peace with your neighbors, whether they agree with you or not, amen, and, and find yourself a better man. But I like even better Jonathan Edwards, the great, great preacher. He said, here's my resolution. Resolution one, I will live for God. Resolution two, if no one else does, I will live for God. I think that's where the believer really lands at. We say no matter what, we're going to follow our God. You know, Forbes magazine estimates that 40% of people in the U.S. made resolutions last week for this new year. What percentage do you think are going to keep those resolutions? Let me hear from you. What do you think it is? 40% made resolutions. How many are going to keep them? Two? One? Man, we are like really negative around here. <laughs> Statistics say literally about 8%. 8% uh, managed to actually pull off uh, these resolutions that usually have something to do with money or weight. Okay. And the reason that they typically are not able to fulfill them, they say, is because their, their resolutions are too ambiguous or they're, they're, they're too, too large. You know, it's like, I'm going to lose 40 pounds. How about I don't eat french fries for the next three weeks? That's a resolution we can start with, right? You know, it's, a, it's getting it down into some chunks that we understand. But I, I think that really as believers, there's nothing wrong with making spiritual resolutions. There, there's nothing wrong with saying to God, Lord, you are faithful, and you have been faithful, God. And you are going to be faithful again in this new year, God. And Lord, there's things in me that want to become and grow and engage. And God, there's also things in me that I want to recapture. Lord, I, I want to I find some of that joy or that peace or whatever your, 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 uh, your circumstance may be. And we bring those to God, and we lay them before him back before the new year. Our community group, we were having a last meeting, and we were around a a, a little bon, not really bonfire, a little fire pit in my backyard, and we were roasting marshmallows, real spiritual, and having a great time. And I said, "What do you want to see in the new year?" And several began to share. They're like, "I want to be, I want to be more on fire for God. Or I want to be more deep in His Word, or I want to grow in my witness." And and you know what? What hit me over the holidays, and what led me to start this message today in this series we're beginning in, is my thoughts went to God. How do I help them get there? How do I help them get there? You see, as followers of Christ, it's natural to have a stirring in our spirits to become, to engage more, to, to love more, to make these huge goals of how we're going to relate to others. But unfortunately, a lot of us have been taught that when it comes to change, we, we believe that we are, we are saved by grace through faith. Amen? That it's not of works that we should boast. Amen? But yet when it comes to change, there's something inside of us that says, it's on us. It's up to us. There, there's got to be a, a process, there's got to be a method, there's got to be something we do to make it happen. And what we do is we set ourselves up for this failure because we are not able to change the heart because only when our heart changes 
does real change take place? You see, I believe that real growth takes place when we, we want a deeper relationship with the Lord to form or a greater love for one another or, or even a need to get back to the things that, that drew us to Christ. I really think real change only takes place when we come back to an understanding and a belief and a, and a passion for the gospel, for the message of Jesus Christ. I really believe that God wants to do something when we get back to the power of the gospel. So for the next several weeks, I'm going to be teaching about really what is the gospel. What is the gospel? In fact, let me, that's, that's a good question to start with. What is the gospel? A lot of people will say, well, it's the first four books in the Bible, Pastor. Don't you know that? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. No, those are called the Gospels. And the reason being is they contain the story of Jesus and the, and the words of Jesus. But that's not the Gospel. Others will say, well, it's good news to the sinner. Because that's how we get saved, right? We, we hear the Gospel, it's the good news, and we give our heart to Christ. And the answer to that is yes and no. It is good news, but it's not good news just to the sinner. If you really get back into it here and you understand the word gospel, it really comes from this word evangelon, which means this. In, in the Greek culture, good news was spread by messengers, right? And, and for something to be gospel, it had to be really good news. It's like a new king or a, or a child born to the, to the leadership or a, a victory at war. And, and that news spread out and across the kingdom. And every time it was brought out, the listener had to understand something. Everything changed. And everything changed because of that there was a response required from them to accept that good news. And that's where the word the gospel comes from. It is the good news of Jesus Christ. But it is a powerful, powerful news. Look at your verse this morning, Romans 1.16. The apostle Paul wrote this. He said, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the what? It's the power of God. That brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. Let me give you a real simple definition if you're taking some notes today or you just follow along with this is in the notes that you'd find on version. The gospel is the news of what God has done to reach us. It is not good advice about how we are to reach God. You see, we always turn things backwards in our flesh. We're thinking it's, it's got to be us reaching to him. No, God reaches to us. God seeks us out. There's not a one of us that is saved that woke up one day and said, I'm going to pursue God. No, God has pursued us from the beginning. And God has revealed himself to us. And that news of the gospel is what draws us to him. Because the good news is simply this. God entered the world in Jesus Christ to achieve a salvation that we could never achieve for ourselves. God, God came. That was with the Christmas message, wasn't it? God came near. Emmanuel, God with us. And he came into this earth to achieve a salvation that you and I in ourselves would never, ever be able to achieve. And when we receive him, he converts and he transforms our lives. And it shapes us into a new humanity. It shapes us into a new being. And eventually the gospel is going to renew even this creation around us. Because God created this world. He said it's good and he wants to make it good once again. But it's through the power of his gospel. You see, the gospel message is so good. According to 1 Peter 1.12, and we're not going to go there in the passage. It's kind of a long passage, but check it out today. The gospel message is so good that it says the angels long to look at what we get to look at. The angels long to see the gospel working. They, they, didn't have to, they didn't have that powerful effect that we have because we have this thing called free will. And the gospel brings us to this place where we can accept what God has done in us. And they long to look into it. You know, when I talk to people about the gospel, I really find out that most Christians, they, they're pretty good at memorizing the facts, aren't we? 
How many of you grew up in a, in a Sunday school environment, church, uh, as a kid? I'm just curious what percentage we are in here, right? There's a good percentage. And we teach our kids the facts, right? Come on, we need to know these things. It's the old joke in Sunday school, if you don't know the answer, just say God, because most of the time you're right. And uh, we know the facts. And the facts of the gospel message are simply this. Jesus was born of a virgin. He lived a perfect life. He died on a cross in our place, and he was raised from the dead. And those who put their faith in him will be forgiven and have everlasting life. That's good news, isn't it? We know the facts. We can tell people the facts. But can I tell you, being able to articulate the gospel with accuracy is one thing. But having that truth captivate your heart on a day-by-day basis is a totally different experience. It's kind, of, it's kind of like this. Put this image up on the screen for me, if you would. What is that? How do you know? Because everybody knows honey comes from bears, right? I mean, we learned that in kindergarten. Everybody knows it's a honey bear, right? But, but how do you know that's honey? Does it look like honey? Well, it's kind of, right? It looks a little yellowish brown in there. It could be motor oil for all I know. What's the only way to know that's honey? Taste it. Pop the lid, put a little bit on something good, and taste it. Guys, in the same way, there are a lot of people that go to church that can tell me what the gospel is, what it should be, and what it says. But until they taste it, and they get it into their spirit, and they allow it to grow and grow and grow in them, they have not yet begun to relate to the power of the gospel that Paul talks about. You see, my goal in this series is very simple. My goal in this series is to help us all in some way, even a small way, open our eyes or reopen our eyes to the greatness of our God, to the, to the largeness of our God, to the magnitude of our Father who loved us and gave himself for us. My, my goal is to help us see the gospel as more than a means to get to heaven. That's for the people that don't know Jesus to figure that out, right? But as a driving force that really is behind every single moment of our lives that brings about lasting change of becoming more and more like our, our God. You see, the gospel is to help, I want you to help you see that it, it's, it, it's, it's the only thing that can make us really passionate about God and free us from the captivity of sin and, and move us toward this joyful sacrifice of life that others may come to know the same Father who we fell in love with. Guys, I'm so convinced that we need to get past this thought. The gospel is not just our ticket to heaven. It's not just the knowledge that we have that says we're okay, we're going to all get there someday. It is literally the power of God working in us to bring about any lasting change for this world to see a witness through us that makes them want to know the God of this universe. Growing up in the, in the church we grew up in, there was always this magazine we had. It was called the Evangel, the Gospel. And in there it always had this little statement, so the Gospel is the ABCs of God. And I grew up thinking that's what it really is, but can I tell you that is not what it is. The gospel is the A to Z when it comes to God. It is the beginning and the end and everything in between because only the gospel can change our lives. Think about this. Whatever dysfunction there is in our life, the cure is the gospel. Listen, if you want to be filled with passion for God, it's not about some experience. It's not about going to a worship night. It's not about reading a certain book or attending a seminar. Those are all good things. But if you want to ignite a passion in your heart toward God, it becomes by internalizing the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen, do you want control of your body? Do you want to be content with what you have? Do you want to be overwhelmed with love for your spouse, your family, your neighbor, for this world? It only comes when we are so overwhelmed by the gospel every day, we can't help but just worship God in our spirit and say, Lord, thank you. 
That good news, God, it was not just the beginning. God, it is working in me every day. Because here's the goal of the gospel. The goal of the gospel is to produce a type of people that are so consumed with passion with God and with love for others that the world has to notice. Can I tell you that's not the world's perception of the church right now? That's not the world's perception of Christianity right now. Far be it from us in a political season that Christianity becomes known more for what we're against and who we're against and what we're for and who we're for, amen? Because it only comes when people can see God working in us. But whenever we take over and we say, you know what, it's me, I can do it, I can do it by myself, I can make myself righteous, then we put this perverted picture of Christ in front of the world and they wonder why anybody would ever want to be a Christian. It's the gospel. It's going back to that beginning. It's going back to the understanding of God's amazing grace in our lives. You see, the focus of Christianity is not to create a bunch of rule-following Pharisees. That was a good place for an amen. That are so good at pointing out what's wrong with everybody else. That is not the goal of Christianity. But it was to create a people that so adore God that they would gladly renounce everything they have to follow him. You see it again and again in the Gospels. It's the pearl of great price. It's the land that is worth everything. It's that, it's that, that, that beautiful treasure in the parables that the man said, I've got I've to hide it and I've got to go sell everything I have so I can come back and buy it because I can't live without it. That's, that's the gospel. So this morning what I want to do is this. I want to just lay out some basics of the gospel. I want to just kind of bring this introduction into us today so that we can be ready for God to do something awesome in our lives as we go ahead. Here, here's the first thing I want you to see. The gospel is the good news of the gracious acceptance that we find in Christ. Now this is going to mess with some of your minds this morning. If you grew up any, anywhere near how I grew up in, in probably more of a legalistic environment, not, not in my family, but in the church I grew up in, this, this would almost come off as heresy. So let's, let's help, help me out right now, okay? And be ready to receive this, all right? So let's expand that basic meaning of the gospel. So Jesus came. Great. He came as a baby in the manger. He was born of a virgin. Awesome. Those are all great things, but it doesn't save us. What saved us is he lived a life that you and I can never live. He, he lived a perfect life, right? He lived a life without sin. It wasn't that he wasn't tempted. You can read about it in the, in the Gospels. He was tempted in every way, as we are, but he didn't sin. And he lived this life that was sinless so that he could be the perfect sacrifice for our lives that are full of sin, that our lives that are overwhelmed by sin, that our lives that, that sometimes can't help but sin. And he paid a price for us. He paid a penalty that we owe for our rebellious lives that we live. And he did this before any of us could do anything good to make us worthy of what he did. He did this before any of us could prove somehow we had any kind of worth or value on this earth. Check it out. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. It says, God made him, referring to Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. So he paid that price for our sins so that we can live in this beautiful life of the gospel, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because we are not reconciled to God by our own efforts, guys. We're not reconciled to God by our own record. The moment we start relying on our own record, all we're doing is becoming prideful. Well, look at me. I didn't sin in 2015. I didn't have this habit. Or I, didn't, I didn't hate this person. Or I didn't act this way. Listen, gang, we, we can become so prideful in ourselves that we think it's all based on us. But we are made righteous not on our own record, not on our own efforts, but on the efforts and record of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And it creates this great tension in us. 
It's a tension you have to be able to struggle with if you're really going to ever understand what God did for us. I'm going I'm to read it because I want you to get it so clearly in your heart, okay? Christians who trust in Christ for their acceptance with God rather than their own moral character, commitment, or performance are simultaneously sinful yet accepted by God. Growing up, we used to have uh, offering envelopes. Anyone know what an offering envelope is? And on those envelopes, we had a little membership thing on the side there. And it basically said things like this. I, I will be a Christian because I, number one, don't go to movies. Don't know what that had to do with anything. I, I, don't, uh, I don't go dancing. I, I don't, uh, you know, we, we made up all kind of rules as kids. We're like writing extra rules. I don't chew gum. I don't, you know. And because the whole thought was I, I, I made righteous by what I did so the world can see my witness because I'm not like them. But here's the problem. I am like them. I'm prideful, I'm egotistical, I'm arrogant, I'm self-centered. You're like, Mike, don't be so hard on yourself. <laughs> you, you know me. Denise is not, don't nod, so yeah, okay. She's like, amen. I'm just like them. The only difference is I put my faith in one who is not like them and is not like me. He is perfect in every way. And because he is perfect in every way, there's this tension in my life that says, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm doing my best, God, but I'm, I'm on my best day I fall short of your glory. But God, you accept me, not based on my record, God, you accept me based on what Christ did for me. You see, I'm convinced that, that we are more flawed and more sinful than we ever dared to believe. It's what we don't talk about. You know, it's, it's when we get in those community groups sometimes, like, hey, how's everybody doing? What is the natural answer? We're doing fine. How's your marriage? Awesome. You're not going to say, man, we fought like cats and dogs all this week, and I, I said some things I wish I hadn't said, and, and you know what? Right now, we're not even liking each other a lot. You know, you think you get booted out of the group when you start sharing that way, right? You know, you're like, hey, how are the kids? Oh, they're angels. Man, they are just such a blessing from God. I'm so grateful he gave us three of them, but I wish two of them were different. <laughs> we're not even honest in it, are we? How you doing in your worship before God? Oh, I bought the latest CD from Hillsong or Passion or whomever your favorite is. And oh, it's so, I listen to it all the way to work every day. And I'm thinking, yeah, it's the only way you're not cursing at everybody driving like they do on 85, you know? Because inside of us, there's this struggle going on. We are more flawed and sinful than we dare to believe, yet we are more loved and accepted than we ever dared to hope at the same time. Because God is our God. We sang about it this morning. His love is overwhelming. His love is amazing. And when we accept that we are accepted not based upon what we do, but based on what Christ did for us, then that's when real change starts to happen. That's when the resolution begins to take place. I have never been able to will myself into much of anything. I've, I've never been able to do it. I mean, I'm a pretty, I've got a pretty strong character. I've got a pretty level head in my life. But I've learned a long time ago that if there's going to be lasting change in me, there has to be a supernatural change in me. God has to do something bigger than I am. Because at the end of the day, I get only so far. And I can only get so far, and I will only always get so far in my own strength. And it's no different for you. At the end of the day, the spiritual fruit, the spiritual fruit that we want to form in us only comes when the gospel becomes more powerful than the religion we try to hang on to. 
When the gospel becomes more powerful than our own efforts to bear fruit. I mean, can you imagine this year going, I'm going to be more patient. I'm going to be more patient. I'm going to be more patient. That'll last about an hour, right? I'm going to love people more. I'm going to be so accepting of people until you meet someone that's not like you. And doesn't vote like you or act like you or pray like you or talk like you. That's why I love Mallard Creek. I'm going to be honest with you. I love, I love the church. I love this area because it is such a diverse area that you just can't sit back and go, everybody's just like me. I'm so glad they're not just like me. I'm so glad they're not just like you. It'd be a boring world, wouldn't it? But what happens is we're challenged. We're challenged by the differences. We're challenged by the uniquenesses. And it's the same thing when we see that. We recognize that, you know what, if we're just going to be more patient, if we're going to make ourselves be more loving, we're going to fail again and again and again. But here's the counterintuitive thought. If we begin to focus on God's acceptance of us rather than our ability to produce fruit, guess what happens? Fruit begins to get produced because it's the gospel working in us and through us. But the more I concentrate on, on bearing good fruit, guess what happens? I just get angry frustrated, not a lot of fun to be around. Dog Donna, I said I was going to be patient this week, and I lost my patience. I said I was going to love her more, and right now I don't like her a lot. I said I was going to be more open and accepting to my coworkers so that my light may shine, but right now I don't even want to be around them. We just get frustrated. Why? Because we're focusing on bearing fruit in ourselves instead of focusing on the gift God has given us in the beginning. You see, guys, the gospel of God is so different than any religious approach to making ourselves better. Now, there's a place for spiritual disciplines. We'll talk about those in a few weeks. But can I tell you, the gospel is different than any other religious approach to being good in God's eyes. Because here's what happens in religion. Religion operates on one principle. Any other religion in the world outside of Christianity, name it, whatever it is, whether it's Hinduism, whether it's Buddhism, whether it's, whether it's a Muslim faith, the, the difference between Christianity and any other religion is simply this. Religion always operates in this principle. I obey, therefore I'm accepted. I obey, therefore I'm good. I sacrifice enough, I give enough, I serve enough. God has to love me. How many know that doesn't work? Met a young lady on a train between Bangalore and Balari in India one day. Actually, one night, we were sleeping in a bunk uh, train. Trains in India are not glamorous, can I tell you that? It was me, the mouse, two guys. In the middle of the night, this young lady crawls in a bunk right across from me. I'm like, this is odd. And we're talking to her and, and find out she's from Jersey. What are you doing here from Jersey? Well, I'm here to go to the temple. It's that time, and I want to make a sacrifice because, after all, my faith tells me I need to do that. And in my sleeping stupor, I looked across, and I asked one question. How do you know you've done enough? Totally run her vacation. Totally run her sacrifice. Because how do you know you've done enough? You see, religion says I obey, then God loves me. But faith says I'm accepted through Christ, therefore I obey. He loves me, so fruit is born. He loves me, so I act this way. You see, most Christians start their journey by faith, but quickly become religious. God, I'm so grateful for my salvation. Thank you for saving me. I don't deserve it, God. And, you know, God, I'm, I'm just, I'm a worm. Thank you for forgiving me, God. Amazing grace. I'll sing it every day. But then we get religious, and we start playing this game of God owes me. 
I'm good, so God owes me a good marriage. I'm good, so God owes me great kids. I'm good, so God owes me perfect health. I'm good, so, so God owes me. And we, we get totally away from this place where we, we understand that our, our acceptance is what leads to our, our behavior. In fact, I'm convinced that any lack of deep uh, spiritual deadness or fear or pride in Christians is really because we operate more religiously than we do by faith. We operate by the thought of, I obey, therefore I'm accepted. Think about this. Some practical thoughts here before we wrap it up. Just think about how, how it works out in our lives, all right? Just think about this. If we fail to forgive someone, okay, that's a big deal, isn't it? We, we talk about forgiveness a lot at Hope because I think forgiveness is one of those things that truly is divine and, and we have to understand that. But if we fail to forgive others, it's simply not out of a lack of obedience. It's a failure to believe that we've been saved by grace alone. Because after all, how can we forgive someone else that's hurt us, but we forget that God forgave us when our sins nailed us under the cross? If we, if we lie in order to cover up a mistake, it's not a simple lack of obedience, but it's a failure to find our acceptance in God rather than in human approval. We're too busy trying to make ourselves look good to humans instead of just being honest, trusting of our God. So we don't get saved by believing the gospel, then grow by trying harder but we believe the gospel, and in believing the gospel, it begins to do something inside of us. That's the second thing I want you to see. The gospel is good news of changed lives. Guys, listen. You know what those that have raised kids. Behavioral compliance to rules without a heart change doesn't last, does it? It doesn't matter if they make their bed, if their eyes are crossed and they're muttering under their, under their breath, right? It doesn't matter if they tell their little brother or little sister, I'm sorry, if they really are not. Because we're all good at that. Tell them you're sorry. Tell them you're sorry. Tell them you're sorry. I'm going to beat you now. Come on. I'm sorry. They walk away and go, but I hate your guts. It doesn't change anything, right? It, it compliance to rules that a heart change is superficial. But the gospel, it changes our hearts. Check this out in Coloss Colossians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. And I'm, it's kind of long, but I just want you to see this, all right? He says, we always thank God. This is Paul. He's always thanking God for whoever he's writing to. He says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all of God's people. The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been done among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. See, the gospel is living, guys. It's doing something in us. It's, it's building us up. It's changing us from the inside out. We sing about that, but we have to get it in our hearts and minds. Remember, it is the power of God to salvations, according to Romans 1.16. It's planted in us. So the spiritual growth can take place just like a seed goes into the ground and it bears fruit over multitudes and multitudes of time. It's no different with the gospel. The gospel is not something you believe and you say, I'm saved, now I'm on my own. No, it bears fruit in us and it continues to grow and continues to grow until we see the fruit of the Spirit raised up in our lives. So here's where this takes us. We're going to wrap it up with this. If we resolve to become better, if we resolve to be more loving, if we resolve to be more patient or forbearing or joyful, whatever it may be in our lives, then we got to be absolutely convinced of one thing. God loves us, he's for us, and he accepts us, not based on what we do, but on what Jesus has done for us. 
And any effort we make to try to turn that equation around, guess what? We just take it right away, and now it's all on us. And we're back to bearing. I'm going to bear fruit. I'm going to bear fruit. I'm going to bear fruit. And we're going to be frustrated and angry, not loving and peaceful. You see, I'm convinced that dwelling on the riches of the gospel will completely change your life. I'm convinced of that. Dwelling on the goodness of God. Dwelling on his power in our lives. Dwelling on his, his love for us. But I know that that's something that you don't gain just by being taught. I'm, I'm struggling even starting this series out as I was praying about it. I said, God, this is what they really call the foolishness of preaching. Because I know this. I can't teach you. And I can't convince you just with knowledge alone to believe that God is for you. I can't teach you. I can't convince you just by teaching alone that God is good and is able to, to shape your life. But I believe this. I believe God will open your eyes this year. I believe God will open your heart if you will make yourself open to him. And my prayer for you is simply that, that God would just show us once again the beauty of the love of our Savior who died for us, who rose for us, who right now is making intercession for us and is one day coming back for us. And let that begin to work in us until fruit starts to grow. Until fruit starts to grow. You see, if you don't know Christ, my prayer is totally different. That is that you would come to accept by faith, what he's done for you. There's been no greater gift than what Christ did on the cross for our lives. Because on your best day, you fall way short. On my best day, we, we fall way short. We're going to talk about that a little more next week. But listen, guys, the greatest thing you can do in this new year, if Christ is not your Savior, is to receive him as your Savior. But if he, if he is, then, then the greatest thing you can do is pray that God would open your eyes once again to the beauty of his gospel and begin to work in you to bring out those very things we hunger and thirst for. And I want to wrap it up this way. There's a prayer in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1 and Ephesians chapter 3. And I want to just pray this over you as our musicians are come. We're preparing for a, a time of response. And I want you to just do something for me this morning. Next week I'm going to introduce a prayer to you. It's kind of an outline. A prayer not to become just a method, but it's an outline to remind us every day of how the gospel impacts our lives. But this morning, I want a prayer prayer over you that Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus. And I'd like you to do this, if you would, for just a moment. I'd like you just to close your eyes and, and bow your head right where you are. I know we'll have it on the screen. I'm not going to ask you to read it. I just wanted you to listen to it for just a moment. And Paul was praying for these amazing people in Ephesus, a church that in Revelation the Lord had to say, you know what, you, you've lost your first love. You need to go back to the beginnings. And Paul was saying to them the very things of what they began with were the very things that would keep them moving forward. And he prayed it this way in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17. He said, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. And I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. He goes on in Ephesians chapter 3. He said, I pray that you may have the power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide, how long, and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen.
right where you're sitting this morning with your head bowed. I don't know how you come into the new year. You may have come into this new year with regrets. You may come into this new year with uh, the mindset of, thank God it's done. You need a fresh start. And that's you this morning, can I tell you, if you are one who has put your faith in Christ, it is the same gospel message that drew you to the love of God that will renew your spirit in this new year and allow you to begin to walk with anticipation of the greatness of God working in you instead of the works of your own flesh leading to your regret or disappointment. You may be here this morning and you're approaching this new year with anticipation. You're like, I can't wait for what God is going to do. And I join you in that this morning. I celebrate that with you. And I, and I aim you in one direction and one direction only. And that is put your eyes on what he has done for us. Put your eyes on what he has done through his son Jesus. And begin to experience once again the freshness of his grace and his love and his mercy in your life. And that excitement is one thing that will just carry you forward with an anticipation that every day his grace is sufficient for your life. But if you're here this morning, you've never asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, in a moment we're going to stand and we're going to sing a song and we're going to respond to God. And I can tell you the only response that, that touches God's heart from you this morning is simply this. That is an acceptance of what he's done for you already. It's not a matter of you making promises to God. God, I'm going to give this up. God, I'm going to be better at this. God, I'm going to, I'm going to treat them better. It, it, those things are... In the Bible, they describe them as filthy rags. They don't, they don't add up to much of anything. But we're truly saved. We come to God and say, God, as I am, with nothing to offer to you, God, with no, nothing to prove I'm good, with nothing to show a resume of my righteousness, God, I come to realize I need you. And Lord, I want to accept what your son did for me this morning. And I want to accept him by faith, that he is Jesus Christ, my Savior. And I want to proclaim he's my Lord. And in doing that, the Bible says the gospel begins to work inside of you. It begins to shape and mold and change. It's not this instant perfection by any means. It's a growth, but you will notice it because it's the power of God, not your own strength.